You better watch out, you better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. So when I was a kid, that song scared the dickens out of me. <laughs> Which I think it was meant to. I think it was probably written by someone who couldn't get their kids under control. So I know I was going to scare them. <laughs> An old guy watching you sleep. What little kid wants to hear this? Has a list of everything bad you've ever done. Interestingly, though, sounds just like John the Baptist, doesn't it? You better watch out, you brood of vipers. This is more like Stephen King. He's got the axe. Here's Johnny. <laughs> nice scripture for Adam. But there is a reason this is a very traditional Advent reading. Because it's all part of the story. You, this, the chapter about the little baby in the manger cannot be separated from the chapter about the crazy guy in the wilderness. They go together. All the ancient prophets understood it. They go together. It's part of the same story. Malachi did the best job of the ancient prophets in explaining it. <coughs> us. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his coming. 450 years after Malachi, somebody put the pieces together. Somebody said, oh, wait a second. That Jesus that was born in Bethlehem, that crazy guy in the desert, they go together. Maybe it was the disciple Matthew. He wrote, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, voice of one calling in the wilderness. Could have been St. John. Remember, this is a different John than John the Baptist. John wrote, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness. And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Or maybe it was the non-Jewish physician Luke that we read this morning, who put the pieces together. But regardless of who made the connection between the baby in the manger and the crazy guy in the desert, these are still some seemingly pretty harsh words that John spoke. And I think we need to come to terms with them. See, sadly, a lot of us have learned to read John the Baptist the way we sing Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And suddenly we take this pop culture philosophy, we apply it to scripture, and then we get bogus theology coming out of John the Baptist. But John the Baptist didn't write Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And his theology is not transactional. It's not legalistic. It's not glory theology. John the Baptist's theology is the same as Paul's, it's the same as St. John's, it's the same as Jesus. It's theology of the cross. And a dead giveaway on this would be what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming to him for the first time to be baptized. He said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Anyone standing there that day would have understood this image. A lamb and taking away sin would have meant one thing to his audience. Sacrifice. The death of that lamb. John got it. John was a true prophet in the lines of the ancient prophets of the Israelites. And I think this is why they were all crazy. You see, they were all given a vision. And in this vision, they saw God as a baby in a manger. God as a lamb meant for slaughter. God dead on a cross. And then in that vision, they were told why. Because God loves us. Because love is the final reality. Because grace is the truth of God. And they didn't know what to do with that. We don't know what to do with that yet. So these guys lived on the fringes of society. They lived on the fringes of acceptable religion. They grew their hair long. They ate and drank funny things. And, and they yelled and cried because they wanted somebody to hear that God is not what we think he is. See, John starts with, you brood of vipers. One of the great lines in all of scripture. Only prophets can talk like that. Now, here's the thing. Vipers are a family of venomous snakes that you can find pretty much all over the world. In North America, we have examples of vipers would be rattlesnakes, Moccasins. They're actually pit vipers, but that's a subfamily within this family of venomous snakes. And one little interesting fact about venomous snakes, which I didn't know. I had to do the research on this, because I don't really care about snakes. <laughs> venomous snakes, their natural inclination is to be defensive. Venomous snakes move away from anything that might harm them. And snakes perceive pretty much anything except their food as dangerous. I mean, they have a mouth, that's it. They don't have arms, legs, so they go away from things. Venomous snakes, these guys that study this stuff, say that venomous snakes would rather flee than bite anything except their natural prey. So this is why, like, you're taught, well, we're not taught that because in New England there's not a lot of poisonous snakes, but... Kids that are brought up where there are poison snakes, they're taught, and if you're in the woods, you bang on logs before you play in them. And then they go away, and then they're... These are snakes. So, human language, they live in fear. And when they can't get away, they bite. That's what makes them dangerous. Sort of like us. Right? When we hurt people, more often than not, we're acting out of fear. It's a fear-based reaction, or it's a Fear-based preemptive strike. It's fear. John knew this about his audience. He knew that they order their lives around what they perceive will save them. And remember, many of these folks are the keepers of the law. These are good guys. They have, they have, they keep the law. These are the guys Jesus said, "Hey, check out the Pharisees. Good morals over there." They do whatever they think they can to appease God. They transact with Him. But see, all their attempts to, 
to transact with him, they're trying to deal with God on their terms, not God's terms. So coming to John for baptism, for them, was just one more defensive mechanism. It was one more attempt to flee from God. Even John said that to them. Who told you to flee from God? I didn't say flee from God. I didn't say to transact with God. See, this is just another fearful act. One more transaction. But John know, knows, knew, and he told him, you can't flee from God if you want to be saved. You have to repent. <coughs> repent has a lot of baggage in our day, but it's just a good word. It means turn around. Change the way you're thinking about God. John's saying to them, fear not. Face God and let him save you. Because that's the only salvation there is. The prophet Malachi, who was clear about this messenger thing, can really help us understand John the Baptist. In fact, I think John the Baptist read a lot of Malachi when he was living in the desert and trying to find things to eat. Now, quick background on Malachi. It seems that some rival priests had taken over the temple duties from the sons of the Levites. Those were the, the priest priests. And as a result, things had gotten pretty twisted at this time. They were offering the worst of the flocks instead of the best of the flocks, which is a direct violation of the covenant relationship they had with God. They were also violating the rest of their covenant relationships with spouses and, and things like that. They had become totally arrogant about their position as God's people. And as a result, they were calling good bad, they were calling bad good, and they were even presuming to tell God what to do. So that's the people that this crazy man in the desert was talking to. So he gives them good news, bad news. The good news is, the Lord you are seeking will come. God is coming. God is coming to his people because he loves his people. Malachi started his whole preaching with that. I have loved you, says the Lord. So the good news is, God's coming, and he's coming to his people, and he's coming for his people. That's the good news. The bad news is, they weren't ready for his coming. They were looking and waiting for a different God. They needed to understand some things. They needed to change their mind about some things. They needed to repent so they could receive His coming. Or else they would miss it. Worse, He would come and they would reject Him. Or worse still, he would come and they would crucify him. Because they were looking for a different God. They wanted a God who would condone their ideas of good while punishing those who they defined as evil. See, this is what was going on. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Can you imagine? How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he is pleased with them. Well, where is the God of justice? What they were complaining about is God didn't seem to be punishing the people they wanted to punish. 
Sound familiar? Gets worse. So I will come to you and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fathers, and deprive the immigrants among you of justice. But do not fear me. Huh. It's like being back in the Corinthians, isn't it? This is us. And don't be fooled by the words Malachi uses. See, sorcerers? Okay, this is not burning Harry Potter books. In fact, don't do that. If you don't like them, give them to me. I love Harry Potter. Sorcery in Malachi's day was turning to any power but the God of the Israelites. That's what it meant. So in our day, what would we ask ourselves? We would ask ourselves, well, what do we rely on? What do we look for or look to for security, for help? What do we look to for control? Do we put our trust in God or do we put it in our 401Ks? Do we put our hope in God or do we put it in our politicians? Do we worship God or do we worship our families? Then Malachi says adulterers and perjurers. This is representative of the breakdown of relationship. Of covenant relationship. It is the complete lack of righteousness as defined in scripture. Remember, righteousness in the Bible is not about a moral code. Righteousness in the Bible is meeting the demands of relationship. Adultery and perjury represent all of the ways we break relationship with God and with each other. See, this is why adultery gets so much press time in the Bible. Unfortunately, we have reduced adultery to mean this five or ten minute act of sex. And don't do that. Please uh, that, that's when you get people reading the Bible and they're either, well, why does God care so much? Or they go to the other extreme, that's all God cares about. Adultery in God's kingdom is an enormous word. And this is why he uses it all the time. Because he knows long, long, long before that little physical act of sex happens, adultery has been committed. Someone has given up on some part of relationship. And God holds us to a much higher standard. But not because He just hates us. He doesn't hate us. He holds us to the highest standard because that's what He did for us. He never gives up on us. He says you can't give up on each other. You can't. And here's more giving up on each other. Defrauding the hired workers in their wages, oppressing the widows and orphans, and thrusting aside the immigrants. It's always about relationships. We have a statement here at Cana. Love God, love others. Everything else is just a footnote. We didn't make that up. 
what it comes from the Bible. If you read it close, it's all about relationships. Our concern is morals and ethics. When we don't care about people, that's what a Pharisee is. Chuck Warnock comments on this verse. He says, God is always on the side of the poor and the weak, always. Write that down, always, no exception. That's why we have the story of the Good Samaritan, the strong story of the sheep and the goats, the story of Jesus healing, eating with, and ministering to the outcasts of society. See, Malachi is saying this is not the way of God. Now, let's see how similar languages John the Baptist uses. This is why Malachi helps us with John the Baptist. Okay, so John gets asked all these questions. Well, what should we do and what's going on? And John says, well, if you have two shirts, share with one who has none. Anyone who has no food, do the same. Don't collect any more than you Basically, John is saying, take care of the poor and the needy. Don't oppress them. In other words, love one another. Love one another. For this is the way of God. And God, this God, is coming. See, John, with his apocalyptic language in crazy ways, is calling people back to love. Because that's where God is. Notice what Malachi says the Lord's messenger will do. This is so powerful. Remember, the Lord's messenger is John. Malachi said, when the Lord's messenger comes... He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. He will restore relationship. Right relationship. He will bring relationship to the forefront where it should be. He will bring it to the forefront of their lives, their culture, their religion, their thoughts, their actions back where it belongs because God is a God of relationship. Perfect relationship. He never gave up on us. And the religious leaders who didn't care about relationship, who didn't care about the poor in their midst, who didn't care about their spouses, who didn't care about the immigrants, had turned God into a God of morals and ethics. And John said, how dare you say you love God when you don't even love your neighbor? See, God is a God of relationship. Perfect relationship. He never gave up on us. Even Malachi in our reading, remember? He said, yep, I'm going to come and judge all this, but remember, I don't change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. See, this is what I love about the prophets. They get it. God is coming to restore people, not destroy people. See, all the prophets in the Old Testament get the Old Testament. It's we that don't get the Old Testament. They got it was about Grace is the final truth of God. 
God's coming to destroy the sin, not the person. And see, this is what John gets. Yes, of course God knows all that is wrong with us. He's got a better list than Santa. It's more realistic. But he's not keeping it so he can give us coal. It's not the point. He's coming to clean us up. To cut all that is wrong with us away and burn it so we can be free of it. He's saying that great worship song this morning. Set us free. And as difficult as that might be, come on, we all know what needs to be done. It's like cleaning house. Doing spring cleaning. No one wants to do it. It's got to be done. And sometimes it's painful. Especially if you've got like 20 people coming for Christmas. You're probably already cleaning your house. Here's the good news though. God is coming to do the cleaning for us. See, I think this is what we've forgotten as Christians. We focus on ourselves. We focus on what we do wrong or what we do right. And that focus is always never good. Because if all we do is focus on what we do wrong, we live in despair, hopelessness, oh, woe is me, why can't I ever get better, why can't I do it? And if all we do is focus on what we do right, that's when we become arrogant, and that's when we start judging others, and then we focus on... See, the focus of Christianity is supposed to be Jesus Christ. That's what the focus of Christianity is supposed to be. Jesus Christ is the one who saves us, and the one who will change us. Period. Grace, not law, changes people's lives. That is a consistent theme in Scripture, and we have forgotten it. You know, Christians, we set up these accountability groups. Oh my gosh. Even business, in the business world now, accountability groups. Accountability groups breed legalism and transactionalism. Now, I'm not saying we should not have dear friends in our lives that can help us see things. But I'm telling you right now, if we're doing it as accountability, it is just breeding legalism and it is breeding a form of transactionalism and it just makes us hide from one another. What we need to do in people's lives and in each other's lives is remind them that Jesus came. We need to spend our time telling ourselves and our friends and family, Jesus came. Your sins are forgiven and Jesus will change you. Grace will change you. That's what we need for groups. Little gospel groups. That's why it's called the gospel good news. You don't have to live like this. That's why God died. We can't do it ourselves. We were never intended to do it ourselves. That's the good news. That's Advent. But we go back to the law, and Paul said, well, the law's not going to do anything for you. Good luck with that. It's just going to kill you. Grace will change you. But here's the deal. We can't run away from him. We've got to turn and face him. We have to trust 
that he is not coming to destroy us, but to save us. From what? The mountains of our sins, the valleys of our selfishness, the crooked paths of our transactionalism, and the rough roads of our lack of love. Sure, he is angry. And he's probably a bit dangerous. I mean, I know how I get when my kids are threatened. And I'm just human. God loves us perfectly. Can you imagine how he feels about sin in our lives? It's killing us. Why wouldn't he be angry? You know, I was reading one commentator on this. (laughs) I would have loved to have been in his church service when he said it, but he said to his church, he said, you know, God's not domesticated. When God comes into our house, he rips up the furniture and pisses on the carpet. (laughs) I love that. Because if the carpet and furniture are hurting us, guess what he's going to do? Sin kills those he loves. But see, so the cleaning in our lives might be rough. It might be hard to hear from a loved one that, listen, you're killing yourself. And you're killing your community. It might be hard when God starts convicting us. But here's the thing, as Patricia Gillespie brilliantly puts it. John the Baptist is running ahead of him, shouting, prepare the way. Don't let this dangerous and wild God come up behind you. Repent. It means turn around. Turn toward God. Let us place before him the depths of our valleys, the mountains of our sins, and the crookedness of our hearts. Just be honest with him. Because that's why he's coming. John even said it. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is why the angels say, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But we can't run away. I think that's what the preparation for Advent is. It's the same preparation. For this table of communion. Here's how we prepare for the communion table. We don't take note of how good we are. We're going to get to that in Corinthians. I can't wait. Because that notion of what Paul was talking about destroys so many lives. We take note of how dirty we are. We become honest about how far away we live from His way. And we acknowledge we can't save ourselves. And then we turn and face Him. And even if it means we have to hide our faces the way the seraphim hid their faces, then hide them. But at least face Him. And He'll take our hands away from our face. And He'll save us. That's what the cross means. That's what this table means. When we flee from Him, when we hold on to our fear and our selfish pride of being good Christians, we are only preventing the very thing we need. God in our lives doing some serious Cleaning. Serious. Let's not be vipers. 
Let's not flee from God. Let's believe Christ is the Lamb of God and is bringing salvation to all. Salvation. Malachi said, when he comes, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Let's believe that this Christmas. Let's turn and face God. And as that seeps deep into our soul, let's go out and share that with the world.